Thanks, Amy. And good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning and also with those of you online. Uh, We are together continuing um, our look at the gospel of Mark together as a community. And it's an exciting journey that we get to go through over the next few weeks to reintroduce ourselves to the teaching and ministry of Jesus as we are in this season of Lent together. As Eric mentioned at the top of our time together, this also is the two-year anniversary. It's kind of hard to even say that aloud of the pandemic. We are in a season when we are also in the midst of praying and standing and thinking through the wars of our world, particularly with Ukraine. We think about the economic uncertainty of this time. There's so much on our hearts in this place. Last week, the New York Times opinion editors sent out a survey to readers and the survey was basically asking, okay, we've been through two years of a pandemic. Uh, where, how are you feeling right now in your body and your soul? And instantly, within just a matter of minutes, they had 700 responses and numbers of responses continued onward where readers uh, shared their kind of one-sentence thoughts about where they're at and what they've learned during this time. And I wanted to read a few of these to you this morning. Some are more humorous uh, than others. Um, some, of the, some of the more interesting ones Uh, Marie from Montreal wrote, my inner mother was reactivated and ordering me about time to get a bath, get out of those jogging pants, make a list of projects. Uh, Aaron in Indiana wrote this. I hope to never scroll on TikTok again, even though I will probably open the app as soon as I get done writing this. Uh, Daniel in New York said this, the days that I can eat Taco Bell and not worry about it being bad for me have now come to an end. Um, but some more serious ones. Uh, Kelly in Dallas wrote this. I took charge of what I could during this time. I gave up opiates and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Emily in Pennsylvania wrote this. I now spend a week out of three in bed, completely floored by long COVID. I feel betrayed by my body, the medical system and society. I want to leave anger behind. Marie in Portland, I'm considering re-entering the dating scene. One thing I haven't lost is hope for a better future. Matt from Brooklyn, I've discovered a sense of resilience, but learned the importance of self-compassion. Grinding it out daily is a recipe for burnout. And Kevin from San Diego, I pick up trash now in my neighborhood twice a day. Everybody is so mean and stressed out right now. I want to leave anger behind. If you were to write your one to two sentence, this is where I'm at right now in my body and my soul and my feelings, what would you write, right? And this is, this is a season maybe where we need to do some of that writing down in this Lenten season. Where are we and what's going on? And as we gather together around the gospel of Mark together as a community over the next few weeks, and particularly today, as we sit with Jesus's teachings, we need to get real with our fears, our pains, our hopes, our joys, maybe our relationship with Taco Bell, but more seriously, our relationship with God. You know, where are we right now? And the theme for our sermon today that I have in the bulletin for you was also some bullet points later in the sermon. But the theme today is really this. Jesus chooses to teach in parables in order to enlarge our hearts and minds through wonder. To show us how large the kingdom of God is becoming. The gospel of Mark gives us a guide to the importance of parables through grounding us in the good soil needed to harvest God's love for the world. So as we gather around the gospel of Mark again this week, let's pray together for the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and make us ready to receive some of this teaching today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for meeting us yet again in your word, uh, for the way that you illuminate the text to bind to our hearts, to become a lamp into our feet and a guide into our path. 
Lord, break open the soil of our hearts that we could be planted with the seeds of your learning and provide harvest for this world and for ourselves. Lord, teach us this morning. Help us to hear what you would have us hear through your Holy Spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. So as we come to chapter four of the gospel of Mark, as we continue our journey together as a church, uh, we begin in chapter four, verse one, with the word again in English, again. And again is a, a way to start this parable of a flesh becoming words, where Jesus is pouring himself into words and word pictures to tell stories for us. And he uses, again, the word palin in, in Greek is a way to get our attention. And earlier in chapter three, verse seven, he uses a similar word, where actually what he's doing is the characters in the, in, in the text are talking, and all of a sudden, he breaks the fourth wall, if you ever heard that phrase. He looks directly at the readers and the listeners to say, oh, I see you looking at me, and I want you to pay attention right now because I have something to say. And so he says again, and he begins to now teach to the people on the shore from his boat, talking directly to us. And parables are the way that Jesus is going to be teaching us as we move forward in the text. So I want to take a beat and talk a little bit about why parables and what they have for us. Parables are ultimately, and I have this in the bulletin, parables are a way for us to move from fear to wonder. Jesus uses parables for us to take us from places of fear and closing ourselves off and opening us up to the possibility and hope of what God has for us. We live as people of fear oftentimes. We see this in the, in the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament, that word phobos in the Greek in the, uh, in the New Testament, these phobias that kind of get us stuck and, and prevent us from hearing God's deeper voice. And these parables move us through, through Jesus's teaching to enlarge our capacity to dream, to hope, and to look for new opportunities. Uh, one way to think about this, and I have um, some bullet points in the bulletin for you, uh, are taken from uh, one of my favorite Old Testament uh, teachers and commentators, Walter Brueggemann. And he talks about how Israel was trained through generations to use story to listen to God. So I wanted to give you these five words. And really, these are prep words for us, not just for today, but also moving forward in our teaching in the weeks to come. First of all, Israel uses story, first of all, because it's concrete for them. It's concrete, meaning the stories that Israel hears and the, and the parables that Jesus will tell are based on particular events, particular things, very real stuff that you and I can touch, we can see, we can walk around. It's about the soil. It's about the seeds. It's about the mustard plants. It's about pearls. They're things that are real. Now, stories about unicorns and dragons are awesome, uh, but these are stories grounded in real things that you and I can relate to. So they're concrete. Secondly, stories are also open-ended in the way Israel uses them and the way these parables are going to be played, meaning they're open-ended in the sense that we are to bring our meanings together around them. So you hear the story, you hear the narrative, you hear the parable. And as we gather together, we're going to gain our perspectives on how we hear it. Each of you brings a different way of hearing it. And that means we enlarge our capacity to hear what God is doing through different voices. So it's open-ended in that way. Third, and I love this, concrete open-ended, but also third, it's a practice of imagination. What parables are going to train us to do is to enlarge our hearts, to enlarge our souls through imagination so that we can learn to expect something bigger than we ever thought of or even imagined, right? That practice of imagination is to expand our capacity to see, to hear, to think about how large and how wide and how deep is the father's love for us. Fourth, the parables that Jesus will be telling and how Israel has been trained in this is, is deeply experiential. 
And by experiential mean that the participants need to tell their versions of the story to each other, right? Similar to open-ended where we gather around it by experiential, what did it make you feel? What did it make you see? What are the things that you need to hear? We put ourselves in the parable. And as we go into this today, I'm going to be asking you to do the same. What are ways that you can be a participant to experience this parable for yourself? Concrete, open-ended, practice of imagination, experiential. But really, this is the kicker right here. Number five is that the way that Israel used stories and the parables of Jesus is just the bottom line. It's the bottom line, which means this. Jesus is telling you, this is reality. This is reality. And that's really hard for some of us who like our reality to be measured like the scientific method, right? How long is it? How wide is it? How much does it weigh, right? We want to use those tests for what is truth and what is real. And Jesus is using these parables to say, no, actually the kingdom of God is like this. (laughs) It's like this. And you don't see it right now, but I'm telling you, if you step into that reality, it'll be as real as the water that you are drinking from right now and the soil that is under your feet. It's the bottom line. It's a way that, and Walter Bergman uses this phrase, it's a way of casting reality. Think of it as a net of casting reality, a big reality net around you. So these stories of Israel, these stories that Jesus is gonna be using as parable, train us to expect hope. Train us to be ready for when it comes. Try to ready to make us aware and also to talk to each other, to realize that the truth of God has got to be bigger than just my perspective. I need the community to gather around it as well. Now to get at these parables, Jesus begins, and this is the second part I want to address as we get now into the parable of the sower, is there needs to be a process of harrowing, harrowing. Uh, The word harrow means to break soil. It means to dig deep. Uh, My mother uh, grew up in Eastern Washington. Um, And if you drive over the mountains and you go through Wenatchee, you go down into Yakima Valley, you go up to the Palouse, you drive through these apple orchards, you get over into the wheat fields of, of Eastern Washington, and you'll see farmers preparing soil for seed. And Harrowing is a process, whether you could use a pick or whether you use these big combines to break through the hard pan to get at the rich soil underneath. And I tell you, there's something quite beautiful when you're driving through Eastern Washington, you see people preparing soil. After months and months and months of being battered by the sun and battered by the inclement weather, underneath all of that hard pan, all that hard stuff that's there, there's rich soil waiting to happen, right? It's, it's color is vibrant, it's ready to explode. And Jesus, as we enter into this passage of Mark 4, wants to remind us that there needs to be some harrowing done. You and I need some breaking apart to get at the deep soil that is underneath us as well. Back in chapter two, Jesus began in in Mark by saying, okay, people are starting to talk about insiders and outsiders. And as he begins this work, he starts defining it. You know, some people are going to be eating uh, with unclean people. And Jesus is saying, you know, I think the kingdom of God's for them. Uh, Jesus, later on in the chapter, he's going to be working and healing on the Sabbath and saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The insider outsider dimensions are going to change for you as well. We get into chapter three, demons are starting to identify him and he walks away from them, but he then calls his disciples to be insiders. But then his family says, oh, we get to be insiders. And Jesus says, not so quick. Insiders take a different kind of role with me. So he starts to kind of disrupt people's scripts, thinking they know exactly what's coming and wants to prepare them for something very, very new and exciting. And the thing I love about the way Jesus does this, and I'm gonna hear a quote from 
an author I love, Christina Cleveland, who does a lot of reconciliation work, has, has, has written for Sojourners Magazine, a book called Disunity in Christ. She talks about Jesus's movements in this way. Rather than using his power to distance himself from us, Jesus uses it to approach us. He follows his own commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, often to his detriment, I might add, by pursuing us with great tenacity in spite of our differences. He jumps a lot of hurdles to reach us. People are constantly in Mark kind of creating hurdles that Jesus has to jump over, right? It has to be this way. It has to be this way. You are this, you are not this. And these categories get pushed aside as Jesus, the great hurdler, jumps over them to get to us, to get to our attention and to make us see how big the kingdom of God is becoming. So in the parable, Jesus begins by talking about soil and these different soils that the sower is now gonna be sowing seed on. And what's so interesting about that is that when he starts the parable, it's important to note that this call for us as humans is to remember our role as soil. And what it means to be good soil goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. As we hear in Genesis 3, that you are dust apart, and to dust you shall return apart. We're, we, we are stuff of dust, we're stuff of dirt. The, the name Adama for humans, right, is, is kind of who we are. We are stuff that God has scooped out of creation and bro, blows his breath and animates us. We are walking soil samples in the world of God's providence and care. But that soil is so rich and so powerful that it can grow a lot of stuff including, as we hear in Genesis 3, we can be fueling of evil, sources of it. We hear that when, Jesus, I mean, when God is talking to the serpent in Genesis 3.14, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals. Upon your belly you shall go and dust, apart, you shall eat all the days of your life. We feed evil if we let it. So the sources of our life become sources for a lot of things. And so we have to be careful about the things we grow in the soil of our life. So from here, Jesus then outlines four soils. And let me take you through these four. Four soils that he illustrates for how people receive his teaching in the call to discipleship. First is the soil of what I'm calling the path soil, right? This is the soil where the seeds fall on it. It hasn't been harrowed. It hasn't been broken up. It's hard pan. It just falls on it. People have walked on paths over and over again. It doesn't get to germinate and it just kind of lies there, right? There's, no, there's nothing that can happen to it. The birds eat it up and it's gone. The second soil he talks about is what's called rocky soil. Rocky soil is made of the rocks. Uh, the, 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 the seed will grow. It'll get nice and tall. But there, because there's no deep root system, it's not feeding on things of nutrients underneath it. As soon as anything of difficulty hits it, the sunshine hits it, questions happen to you, this kind of push, you don't have the tenacity to make it. And then it withers and dies, right? Third soil is what's called thorny soil. Thorny soil are seeds that they find some rich nutrients. They start growing it. But you know, there's things that have also found that soil too, if you remember that we heard. And these weeds start growing up. These thorns start growing up. They start tangling around. And as they tangle around, they start getting into the conversation with the thorns, right? They get distracted from what they're supposed to be doing, which is to bear fruit. And so in that tangle, these thorn, this thorny soil then chokes out the capacity for the seeds to bear any fruit at all. They grow, but they don't bear anything to the world because they get so distracted by the other things they're being pulled away from. And then lastly, good soil. Good soil that's tilled, that's ready, freed from rocks and thorns and ready to bear fruit. And not just for themselves, but for a hundredfold for others as well. And when you think about these four soils, and as I think about these four soils, um, 
it's important to think about how do we compartmentalize the soil that God has given us to grow the Christian life. And where this really became apparent for me was when I was 17 years old. Um, When I was 17, I was a senior at Garfield High School in Seattle, and I made the strange, strange decision to take calculus in my senior year. <laughs> and, um, but my math teacher was Jack Babani. Now, here's the thing. So Mr. Babani, my calculus teacher, uh, was an Orthodox Jew. Uh, he served his community in his synagogue as a guardian of the Torah, which meant that he was responsible for the cantors as they canted to make sure they pronounced every Hebrew word properly. Now think about that as a job description, right? A guardian of the Torah, right? He was very proud of his tradition. He was was from the East Coast. He ate kosher lunches in in, in his classroom. And he was a diehard Simon and Garfunkel fan to his bones. Um, There's this old aphorism that when the student is ready, the teacher will arise. And for me, it was my AP uh, calculus teacher. It was my calculus teacher who kind of got a hold of me in a very particular way. I, see, I was at this season of my life in my senior year where I had had this radical conversion to Christianity through young life. Um, but that radical conversion, I kind of put into a planter in this small area. And then I put over here on a windowsill in this little box. And that's where I nurtured that life of Christ. It was over here, but there was all this other stuff going on and just kind of lived over here in a windowsill. And <sighs> Senior year is hard in high school, a lot of pressure, um, trying to think through who I was. I was kind of a sad kid, really, trying to find my way, kind of had this emptiness inside me I didn't really know what to do with. But I had this, this faith that was kind of over here in a box, and it was just kind of over there living. Well, Mr. Bobani opened up his, his classroom for lunch, as I said, and so many of us nerds would go there and have lunch, and we'd talk about the band kids and what they were doing in their lunchroom. Um, and you know, we'd have our lunch together, and we'd listen to these Simon and Garfunkel albums as we were sitting there eating our lunch, right? Bookends, The Boxers, So Long, Frank Lloyd Wright, Bridge Over Trevor Water, and these albums would play. And as I would sit there and eat my lunch, I would hear this longing right? This New York urban loneliness and estrangement, this desire to deal with the hypocrisy of the Vietnam era, this anger at war, this feeling also of poetry and beauty bubbling up in me that as a 17-year-old guy, I didn't know what to talk about or how to talk about it, but it was smeared also with cynicism and anger. And I saw that mixed together in the music as well. And as I was sitting there listening and kind of being in these lunch periods, one day my friend David turned to Mr. Babani and said, hey, did you know that Jeff is a Christian? And he said, just kind of like that. And then everybody just like stops, right? turns at me and we're sitting with their bagged lunches. I'm like, huh? And, um, and, and Mr. Babani just kind of looks over his desk and he says, really, Keith, you're a Christian. Now, remember, it was over in this little box, right? Little bit of soil, little bit of thing over here in a corner that it was growing in. And I didn't really know how to talk about it. I didn't know where to fit it into everything else. I didn't know how to even talk about it from a distance. It was just over there. I was thinking about college. I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about problems. I was thinking about fill in the blank when you're 17 years old, right? I was thinking about a lot. And he leaned over and he said, well, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about this? And we had talked about a lot of things during lunch, a lot of things. And he was unafraid to talk about his faith. He talked about his Judaism. He talked about the food he ate. He talked about how proud he was of his synagogue. He talked about how proud he was of the heritage he came from. It was just part of who he was. And he just kind of looked at me and we kind of sat there for that moment of silence. And I said, no, not really. He said, okay. He said, that's okay. But here's what I want you to know. It's important. And that's all he said. It's important. And in that moment, it was like 
this boxed plant cracked open and soil started to pour out and like 500 yards of soil started to fill up the room because all of a sudden I realized that I was trying to keep my good soil over here. And I was like dealing with thorns and rocks over here, right? And all of a sudden I realized that what I thought was the Christian life was keeping something in a corner over here in a box so I could do all the other stuff that everybody else got to do. It didn't make any sense. The soil was running everywhere now because it was important. To have good soil means to see Jesus as important, not over here in a box, as important. And when he asked me, Mr. Bobani asked me, just like Jesus turns and facing and said, Palin, again, I want to get your attention. At that moment, he leaned in closer, my teacher, and then I realized I need to dig deeper in the soil and let the roots grow. This is what it means to have good soil is to realize that it's not a potted plant in a corner. It's important, which means it's everything and everything's going to grow from it or not. So what does it mean to have good soil? Let me give you four things to think about on that. And then I'd like to turn our attention to the harvest. First, to have good soil, you have to understand your rocks and thorns. Number one, you got to understand your rocks and thorns. Carl Jung said it well, that we have to own our shadow. We have to know the darkness of us in order to really understand our light. What are the parts of your life that are rocky? What are the parts that you're trying to, that God is trying to plant in you, but you're not letting roots grow, right? It's not going deep enough. It's shallow. Or the thorns. What are the conversations and distractions right now in your life that you know are pulling you away from the good life that God wants from you? What are the parts of your soul that you realize, I don't need to be doing that stuff, right? And why are those thorns still there? So know your rocks and thorns. Secondly, be aware of when and where the seeds of God's teaching are going to fall. Be aware of when the seeds are going to fall. Be awake. Be ready. You never know when your Orthodox Jewish calculus teacher is going to tell you Jesus is important, right? (laughs) Be ready. Be ready to see where God shows up. Look for God in your place of work. Look for the evidence of God's teaching around you. Listen to the music of the day. Listen to the protests in the street. See the ways that God is showing up in these places. And maybe you get to go to those places too. So be ready. Second, in order, I mean, third, in order to get to deeper soil, we're going to have to, in order to get the deeper faith, we're going to have to get the deeper soil. And to get the deeper soil means we've got to do some harrowing together as a church. We got to dig through the hard pan. We got to turn up the soil so the seeds can grow. And that's going to take some work and that's hard work. And Bethany is here for that. We as a community want to be in those conversations in your communities about where that harrowing needs to happen to get to the deeper soil. And fourth, and this is what I want to transition into is the harvest is not just for you. As the seeds grow of God's teaching, remember that the harvest from the good soil is going to be born over a hundredfold. It's not just for us. We don't have to just hoard all the riches of what we're learning and seeing from God. It's for everyone. It's for our communities. It's for our families. They need to hear your story. When someone asks you about this life that you have in a little box, in a little corner, let that soil spill out. Allow it to grow in all aspects of life, in your work, in your families, in your relationships. Let that deep rootedness take hold in all those areas. And the bounty is going to be greater than just for yourself. And that's wonderful. So as we think about harvest for us as community, I wanted to turn our attention um, to think about one example that I think Jesus is leaning into, which is the prophetic literature and how we can use that as a way to think through 
how do we now live into building our greenhouses of hope with the good soil that God wants to prepare for us? In Jeremiah 29, 5, that Amy read for us, we heard this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. When Jesus is teaching the parable of the soils that we just heard, he's reaching back really in many ways to the building materials that we need for this good greenhouse of hope that the prophets provide. Three big themes arise from the prophetic literature that Jeremiah is leaning into in this passage. Justice, mishpat, righteousness, sedek, and turning, hapak. These three big themes, to call for justice is one part of our greenhouse of hope that we build our soils in, that we need to be ready to do the justice work that God is calling us to. Also, we need to live our righteous life. We need to be accountable to each other and accountable to what are the disciplines we need to do and grow in. Bethany has been very good about teaching about the spiritual disciplines, the inner and outer spiritual disciplines that you can lean into. And out in the foyer, you can pick up a card to practice some of those spiritual disciplines together as a community. And also turning, to constantly be turning when Jesus says again and wants to get our attention, be ready to turn and face Jesus and listen as well. These three parts are really seen in Jeremiah's 52 chapters because Jeremiah is literally abandoned along with his people through a decimation and trauma like much of our world has been over the past few years. Jeremiah is a prophet who calls out to his people in a time after the Babylonian conquest has taken them, the destruction of the temple, as well as the exile of Jerusalem leadership. And this letter that Jeremiah is, is speaking out in this, in this book is a, a word of grace in a time of loss and exile. Build houses, we hear in chapter 29, verse 5. Live in them, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Jeremiah is not asking them to go do revolts, to do violence, to blow things up. And he's certainly not saying being indifferent to the suffering of our world. Neither of those things are being said. But instead, Jesus is saying, I mean, sorry, Jeremiah is saying there is good soil here, good soil to plant and to build. So let's get about that work. Jeremiah goes on to say in verse, verse seven, seek out the welfare of the city that I've given you and sent you to in a time of exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare where you find its welfare. We, as God's people, have been put in this place. And for you online, you have places as well that you've been placed. Where are you working the soil for the betterment of that city? I love the ministry that we are doing right now. They're calling us to a deep tilling for our season. Last week, if you were here, Tyler Greer shared with us as director of our Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation, the work that we are going to do as a church together to get real about conversations about what it means to be a community as a community that needs to deal with questions of racial justice. Um, I love how Amy led us this morning and told us about the Safe Families Ministry that you can be part of through your prayers as much as through your participation. I pray in the for afterwards you go to the foyer and learn more about that. So many ways that we can be part of this work for the sake of our city. What we're being called to is this. As Jeremiah shares these great words, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare, not for harm, are to give you a future with hope. And then I'll call upon, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. We are to build places of a hospitable dwelling in places of exile. We are to raise our children and our family in places that are, have open doors to those who need shelter. We are to lean on our neighbors and to let them know our hardships, our heartbreaks and sorrows. There is good soil here. There is good soil here. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to prepare the good soil of your heart, 
of this church, of this city, and of this world for the good teaching that Jesus wants to bring. This is why Jeremiah 29, as we read, is indeed a great passage to embrace, not because it's optimistic, but because it's honest. And that is where we're going to find hope, when we are honest in our darkness and light together. So we are in this season, a season of heartbreak and difficulty. People are racked with pain over this pandemic. The issue of, of Ukraine, other wars, and unsettling news continues to get us. But I want to leave you with the words of one of my former students. Um, Val Masesic was a student of mine at Fuller Seminary when I taught there. And he was a great student, actually, a UW grad who went off to Fuller. And then after he graduated from Fuller, he went off and he's now a doctoral student at Yale University in the Divinity School. And uh, Val was from the Ukraine. And um, hadn't really thought about Val much in the past couple of years. I knew he was off. I wrote, you know, wrote his letter of recommendation. I was excited about his doctoral studies. But as things broke out in the Ukraine, he really came to mind because I remember him talking in class and sharing some things. And then, and then literally last week, there was an interview at a protest um, uh, dealing with the questions of Ukraine and Val was interviewed, <laughs> we interviewed on there on NPR. And so I went to the NPR website and the Connecticut National Public Radio website, and they had the transcript from his, from his conversation. And I want to give Val the words because he, as we deal with the questions of the Ukraine and we deal with what it means, hearing from Val to, the, to us today, I think is good words for good soil. He said this, he said the following. There are two stories that need to be telling there's the story of the horrendous evil that's happening as we speak, and that lends me, and I believe it should lead others to lament and to grieve. But there's a second story, and that's a story of hope. As someone who's an aspiring theologian, I think we must talk about the future. We need to imagine, and not just imagine, but believe that in the end, Ukraine will stand. It will overcome this horrendous evil, and it will rebuild. Val believes in the power of good soil. There are thorns that'll choke out that truth. There are rocks that'll make it hard for us to get deeper roots in our current situation. But Val is willing to imagine and not just imagine, but believe that God's promises can be met even in this time. And that's hard as we look at how difficult this situation is. And the parables of Jesus, as we listen for the next few weeks together, are going to be challenging for us. They're going to ask us to lean into our imaginations and hopes that we can't see in front of us right now. But we need to imagine, and more than that, we need to believe that God is here, that God is hope. And as a community, I think we're being called again to turn and face and listen to Jesus in this season to soften our hearts. Rocks and thorns are going to choke at us, and they're going to try to drive us away from the call that God has but that soil is ready to be worked with. Remember, if you don't remember anything from me, remember this from my calculus teacher, it's important. <laughs> it's really important. And let that soil move throughout your entire life. And don't just let it sit in a little pot in the corner of your life because there's so much more work to be done. So let's, let's call the band back up. And I'd like you, as you sit now, to think through the soil of your heart. Think about where you're at right now. What work of harrowing, of tilling does God need to do for you to get to that rich, deep soil to plant the good teaching that God has for you? And so use this song and use our time as we wrap up to really pray to the Holy Spirit to see what that is for you as we gather together, as we worship together, as we close our service.